Well, this is culture with Cody and Corey, or Corey and Cody. Which one are you? I'm Cody. And I'm Corey. Yeah, so I am Cody Fields. I am the president of Westminster Effects. You can buy stuff for your guitar at westminstereffects.com. You can join our discussions in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. And if you're familiar with me, you're probably listening to this on that feed. Yes. But what about you? You might be listening to this on the Corey Truax feed, now just wherever you find podcasts and no longer on terrestrial radio, uh, much like Tucker Carlson, it's done. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Went just there. Talk, yeah, just tossing it out there. And we have been getting together. This is <laughs> and much like Tucker Carlson, your parting with your terrestrial radio station was not mutual. <laughs> no, that was a uh, one-way decision, as we should all uh, admit to ourselves. Uh, but I'm, I guess I should start here. I, I, I'm the one of the elders at Beachwood Church. I think one of the things that brings Cody and I together is that we have both come to post-mill type theology, yep. a growing kingdom. And because we're new to it in our early to mid-30s, it's coming for me on now, it's late 30s. Ooh, we're that, that's, That'll be me next year. I don't. I'm January. I don't, I'm, aging yeah. doesn't bother me. Yeah, we are. We're late to the party in trying to imagine what the world will look like as Christian as Christianity and Christians begin to run things. So we're getting together with some regularity to talk about that. Imagine that world. Yeah, and and even though we are, I think part of it is we are newcomers because we were introduced to these ideas and we're gradually won over to them. Yes, and we find them one compelling and two biblical and beautiful too. All three. Yes, All three yes absolutely. Yeah. Truth, goodness, beauty. Um, yeah. And we find ourselves uh, thinking almost more along the lines of guys like Lewis and Tolkien huh? of kind of revolting against, and you've been explicit about this, revolting against the Enlightenment materialist mindset. Yes. And what we see is not all there is. There are actors working behind the scenes one, the bad actors have been conquered by Jesus. Amen. And he is putting them under his feet gradually in history. So what does that look like for church, society, and all that good stuff? We've talked in our uh, two other episodes so far mostly about political things. Yes. Uh, we'll still touch on some political things with this, but uh, we were going to start today with a not inherently political thing. Yes. Uh, that was my idea. Uh, and we'll we'll just kind of run the gamut in this episode, Please. honestly, because we're doing two different topics that have n- really nothing to do with each other. And we'll watch me segue it when we get there. Yes. I will figure it out. Yes. And, and we will professionally segue that. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to, uh, we both have musical backgrounds. Yes. So in a Christianized society, uh, in, in an, our American case, in a re-Christianized society however long that takes, what does music look like? Mm. <laughs> so I, I think I always think in the negative. Like, what does it not look like first? Yeah. It does not look like Cardi B. Um, amen. Right? So it's, it's not raunchy. It's right. Not, it's not gross. Um, I think it's it also can't be um, bubblegum meaninglessness. Mm-hmm. I think that would make up a lot of the pop of, I mean, I love the 90s. I, I often think it was the pinnacle of Western civilization was the 90s. Yeah. But, or at least until our post-mill thing comes along. Right. A lot of that was meaningless. There wasn't much to it. Yep. I think that goes with the postmodernism, postmodernism of the time, the nihilism of the time. Like, I, I think of a lot of Sugar Ray songs. I liked Sugar Ray when I was a kid. Their songs don't mean anything. Mm. There, uh, every morning there's a halo hanging from the corner of my girlfriend's four-post bed. That doesn't mean anything. 
I, I know, I, okay, remember the, the bare naked lady song? The um, uh, it's been one week since uh, you, I, sir. I'm a Christian. I don't listen to those things. <laughs> that, yeah, very funny. They came up with that band name because they just thought it would draw people in from the street, and it did. Yeah, people would come in after, if they're just playing in a club that night. They're, the sign says bare naked bare naked ladies. People would come in. But they had the, the one song that was uh, the Chickety China, the Chinese chicken. Have yes. a drum st- yes. It means nothing. Go read it. It means nothing. So I think at least the, it doesn't mean those two things. It can't be. It wouldn't be raunchy music, and it wouldn't be meaningless. Mm-hmm. Now, when we say it's not raunchy, that doesn't mean that it's not ever sexual in nature. That's true. Uh, because you look at the Song of Solomon, and that is, it is sexual. Uh, there's, yeah. no, there's no way around that. And so we need room in our Christian thinking about music, about how can we glorify God in singing about sex because that is a gift that he gave to his creatures. And just the Gospel Coalition just... This has already taken a turn I didn't expect. Yeah, I, I, was, I wasn't expecting this either. Uh, you do, did you catch about a month ago the Gospel Coalition went through a little controversy because a guy has written a book yes. that, uh, let's go with, corresponds the male-female sexual intercourse to the human-to-God relationship Yep, and draws a lot of parallels. Yes. Uh, with some ex- pretty explicit language uh-huh. in, in that in that essay, um, so I, I would f- first start here. We, yeah, we have to be able to uh, to sing about, write about the gift of sexuality inside marriage. Do you think that would ever be in a communal setting? As in a congregational setting? Uh, or I, I mean, communal, even just in a, any group. Any group like a concert or yeah. maybe? I guess it could. I guess it, it could. could. Yeah, uh, because if you're going to sing psalms in a group, mm-hmm. those the Psalms can get violent hmm. and they were meant to be God's songbook for his people. Now we're not exclusive psalmody types. Right. Uh, I don't think that's a biblical position. The new Testament even says song Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. So we're tagging on a couple yes. other things already, uh, but the Psalms get pretty violent. Hey God, can you take that guy out? That'd be awesome. Kill their babies. I, I think, yeah. There's at least one about d- dashing babies on rocks. I yep. mean, there's, I'm almost positive. There is a Psalm. Um, we're, David is praying that the Lord would break the teeth of his enemies. Yep. Break their teeth. If that's um if there's an emo lyric if there's ever yes, sir. if there's ever been one, break and their that's, teeth. That's closer to uh to a a more metal or hardcore. The the emo would be, hey God, everything sucks. Can you kill me instead? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I I defer to your expertise in that world. Uh I, I actually didn't even I couldn't name an emo band. Fair like, enough. What's what's under oath? Uh, oh, apostate is what they are. Okay. I don't, I don't even know the genre. Yeah. I um, mean, they they were kind of hardcore and emo and a lot of things smushed together. But, I mean, so you, they you, have apostatized. But anyway. Yeah, you covered that on your on the your for sure show. Yeah. Um. I, yeah, so you could sing those in congregation. And I, I hate the word congregational because I don't, I don't want to say church, but maybe in a concert setting. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So it wouldn't be raunchy, but could include sexual content because sex is good and God made it. Yeah. I don't know that it couldn't include violent content, especially from the lament. Right. I mean, yeah, we're talking some of the spirituals from slaves in the Western world, not just America, but the Western world, have featured in their lyrics some of the things they go through. Right. And I, those are just fine to sing. Those, uh, even though it's violent content in nature. I th- Do you have any exclusion in your mind on? instrumentation or so much music today is digital. Like nobody ever played an instrument. We just press some buttons on a box. That's, that's an interesting thought. Um, I think my, my main, this isn't original to me. My main pushback on any kind of instrumentation would be, uh, 
atonal, quote-unquote, music, where there's no key hmm. at all, and it's just a bunch of notes. You play whatever you want to kind of thing. That's madness. Right, where <laughs> I can see, like, dissonance is a real musical thing. Yeah. Uh, and so some of the music that I listen to often utilizes dissonance to increase tension and stuff like that. And then they end up going back into that original key, stuff like that, even if it's really, really heavy. Uh, but in terms of just pure atonality, um, one, it would seem to violate the definition of music. Yes. And two, it would seem to be, to me, to... The goal is not to actually create music, it's to create noise. Yes. I think there's a great parallel here in art that... The arts were often judged by uh, how well the art depicted reality and what mm-hmm. emotions it could elicit. And then in the deconstructionism of the postmodern era, we just started putting shapes and random colors. And the point was to say that there's nothing. Yep. Life has no meaning. And so yep. we're, our art has no meaning. In the same way, I found as I continue to learn music, I'm, I'm late to that party too. I didn't start learning any to play anything until I was 32 or 33. Mm-hmm. Like coming across the Nashville number system, the idea that there is an interchangeable relationship between one, three, five, and six, or one, three, or what am I thinking of? One, four, five, six minor? Yep. There's a, it's interchangeable relationship if you're in A or if you're in G. It's, it's mathematical and it's a beautiful set of patterns in music. Yes. That if you're doing the atonal thing, are you saying that there's no pattern? We right. break the patterns and just make noise. Yes. I think that would be excluded from what we would think of as Christian music. Right. Right. And, and, so, there's so many different directions. Where do we even go with this? Uh, this might be something that we have to revisit in the long run as well, uh, because there's so many things to talk about. Uh, but a hot take, it's not a hot take for us, being post-mill guys, especially with some of the circles that we run in. Right. Uh, but in the greater Christian world, um, we're not talking about Christians making every song a worship song. No. Uh, because... I mean, not every song is meant to be uh, worshipful, even like there are different genres of music, Uh, even Matthew 11, but to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates, we played the flute for you and you did not dance, we sang a dirge and you did not mourn. So Jesus, in uh, calling out the religious leaders of his day, acknowledges different genres and different types of music. So we're not saying everything needs to be in the vein of, uh, with as many criticisms as we have of them, Elevation, Hillsong, Bethel. Right. Uh, You know, the first verse is low, and then you end up building to this climax and all that kind of thing. Every song. Yeah, every single song is formulaic. But I would say that worship music in general, and I'm, I'm using this term intentionally it's flaccid yeah because there's no reference to the psalms it's not taking into account the full counsel of god and all of god's characteristics he is not only loving yes he is love yes but he is also justice and he is wrath and he possesses those things and so when i start to say something like that i sound like a maniac because it makes me sound like I want God to just <laughs> go crush everybody. Yes. 
he is putting his enemies under his feet. And as uh, I think as Romans 16 says, God will soon crush Satan under our feet. Yeah. So he's doing the crushing through a vessel. Uh, but we don't recognize all of God's attributes, which necessarily makes the genre unbalanced, which makes us sound unbalanced when we try to correct it. You mean in the genre of, quote, Christian music right now, we really only celebrate one part of God. Yes. We don't talk about any of the other... His, his righteousness, his justice, it's just... Sovereignty, he, any of that. He just loves his whole bunch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, that, it, it all amounts to, uh, and this this will sound crude, but basically pillow talk with Jesus. I mean, so, yes, I agree with that. Uh, that That's often why we don't do a lot of those songs. Right. Let me give you two names, and I think one you'll remember quite well. You may not remember the other. Um. So, Breaking Out of Cademan's Call was Derek Webb. Mm-hmm. And then there was a guy, Todd Agnew, back in the day. I know that name. So he did uh, Hallelujah, Grace Like Rain, Falls Down on Me. He did This Fragile Breath. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy. All right. Both of those guys wrote, and uh, Derek Webb obviously went straight apostate. Mm-hmm. Those guys did albums, both call, them, call themselves Christians, but a lot of those songs were really honest wrestling with faith, real honest wrestling with their background of family and a lot of pain that can come along with that. It, especially before Derek Webb went crazy. I, I would call that like even better Christian music. Mm-hmm. It was real, really honest interaction with life experience and uh, the, the emotions they have and never brought to bear in a lot of these songs, what the scriptures might say, never brought to bear the, uh, what maybe the, the gospel would have to say, which you might get in a churchy song, but was a faithful representation of a human experience they were having as they struggled through issues of faith. Yeah. That would be something that I think in a Christian world, yeah, we would do that. Absolutely. Because there is more depth to it than just Jesus, 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 we love you. Right. Okay. Yeah. And that might even actually be a chorus that's popular right now. I don't know. Guarantee it. (laughs) Yeah. There, you know, we, we hit hard. So I know we both do on modern uh, music modern worship music. I but because of that I also don't expose myself to it. Right. I only recently this is embarrassing. I think the song came out in 2017 or 18. Okay. I only recently came across Christ Be Magnified by Corey Asbury and freaking love it. Mm. The Christ Be Magnified and the on the altar of my life Christ Be Magnified in me. If you haven't it's actually it's really sound and very yeah, good. Yeah. And that's, I think Corey Asbury is the guy that broke all of our brains by doing the... Um, Reckless Love. Reckless Love. Yeah. And he wrote a really solid song. Yeah. Anyway, just so you know, it's... Maybe he's had a shift in his theology. I don't know. Or he just, he got one right. Or he got one right. Um. Okay, so I think, yeah, those would be included in Christian music. It can't be raunchy. Yeah. It wouldn't be meaningless and a chaotic. Mm-hmm. Okay, how about this one? Soundscapes. On NPR, because I'm an NPR listener, I think I mentioned that as much as you mentioned being post-mill. So yeah, yeah. Raise, raise a glass or take a shot. Yeah. They have a show called, um, I, I forget the name of the show, but what they do is called Soundscapes. And there'll be nine and ten minutes of, like it sounds like synthesizers on top of one another, yep. including like ocean sounds and then nature and then it sounds like you're in outer space or what you imagine outer space to sound like yeah. with more. And it's just nine and ten minutes of droning what they called soundscapes. Mm-hmm. Do you have a category for that? Absolutely. I actually use an app sometimes when I'm having trouble sleeping. To go to sleep. Yeah. And, and that, uh, if it'll load, I'll just play it into the microphone. And it's... That kind of thing. Yeah. 
and it's it's just soothing. Now I think, I think, the motivation for such matters because there are some parties who will tie. Uh, new age type of things of these frequencies produce these type of things in the spiritual realm. Hmm. Uh, I have seen a little bit of that, um, like a lot of Buddhist new age thinking, stuff like that. And, and so discarding idolatrous reasoning yes. for it. Um, yeah, I got I got room for that. It can help you go to sleep or it can help you focus. I'll actually... <laughs> I'll actually, uh, if I'm trying to focus sometimes, I will put on the Skyrim soundtrack. A video, ga- video game soundtrack? Yeah. Okay, I don't know anything yeah. about it. Okay. Really good soundtrack, and okay. I have sunk far too much of my life into that game <laughs> in my time. But fantastic soundtrack, and a lot of it is just soundscape type of stuff for when you're walking around that world exploring things. It's the background sound. Yeah. Here's one thing we're not saying, I think, because we're going to be so much in agreement, but I think should still be said out loud for this group. One of the things that we would have in a Christianized music scene is a great deal of variation in performance type. Yes. Because one of the things I don't want to assume is that we're doing, all right, well, when the Christians take over, it's all choirs and organs. Absolutely. No, I mean, we're going to do all, all kinds of cool stuff. We're in every tribe, tongue, and nation place. Yeah. You know, I grew up some of my younger years in West Africa, just had some family come back from there and I'm reminded at how different their musical worship is from yeah, ours. Yeah. How different it looks in South Korea when you watch on YouTube one of their worship services and how mm-hmm. different it looks in Latin America. Yep. And so we would have a great deal of variation and that's a that's a good thing. We're not trying to limit or narrow that expression for uh, what a culture does. I think mm-hmm. what we're narr- narrowing for is what does this musical culture do that would be excluded from a Christian one? Yes. Well, their raunchiness and their meaninglessness would mm-hmm. be excluded when the if the Christians start running the music labels. Yeah, and even I might not even exclude necessarily like a meaninglessness. Uh, like the artist who who wrote your former intro song. What was that? We have a uh, air conditioning things pretty loud. I pro- it probably oh, okay. came through on the recording. Yeah, air it conditioner. probably did. Yeah, um, but Reliant K has a couple of songs that are just goofy, for the sake of being goofy. That's true. Um, or even like the Veggie Tales song about Larry not being able to find his hair. Hair rush. Yeah. Like uh, <laughs> some, sometimes you just need a goofy song so you can chuckle yeah. at it. Yeah. Um. So may- maybe that's not even actually meaninglessness. Maybe what you're talking about is meaningless mixed with nihilism. Nihilism is the key. Yeah. And where you know, like like you talked about with bare naked ladies, it literally means nothing. Yes. So it's it's the Seinfeld of music. Yeah. Um. The show about nothing. So not raunchy, not meaningless, while still retaining, uh, room for godly sexuality, godly violence, godly anger, yeah. angst, uh, depression. Um, what I mean, what other emotions do we have that can fit in the all of the genres that don't <laughs> that don't get used for congregational worship these days? I think you got them. I, th- I think you go through the Psalms there. We don't sing about our laments. We sing happy mm-hmm. slappy stuff. Yep. We don't sing our bewilderment are it's, it's one of the things I pick up in the Psalms with David is he can go f- from one Psalm being on the, the mountaintop and the next Psalm is where are you? Yeah. Why are you taking so long? Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't sing that, that the bewilderment, the confusion of uh, the doubt. We don't sing that. I don't, I don't know how to sing our anger. I don't know what that would be like, but I don't want to exclude it. 
mm-hmm. because it's part of the the human experience. When our when our anger is redeemed, we'll always be the right amount of angry at the right things. Yes, exactly. And so that's maybe why I can't imagine it because I've probably been the wrong amount of anger at all the wrong stuff thus far. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a fair point. At the same time, so. My wife tells a story often about how she went to Christian uh, high school, middle school and high school. I also went to Christian middle school and high school, but we were not in the same state at that point. So when I say that, don't hear us going to school together. Um, <laughs> but she went to a Christian school, and part of her thing, part of her curriculum for a Bible class one year was memorizing Psalm 139, okay. which we typically uh, associate with pro-life positions, things like that. For you formed me and you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. Fantastic verses. Yes. But they eliminated things like verse 19, oh that you would slay the wicked, O God. O mm. men of blood, depart from me. Uh, and then verse 21, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. Wow. I count them my enemies. And then he turns around in the next verse, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. And I, I've, I've said this many times over the years, but I am convinced that the genres of uh, punk, heavy metal, hardcore, any of the derivatives basically exist because the church ignores impregatory psalms. Wow. Because people need an an, an outlet for those feelings. Yeah. And the church isn't providing them one. Uh, One one interesting thing I've seen observed, I did not make this observation myself, is as great as the, you know, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th century hymns are, those hymn writers never have enemies. It's only about the redemption that we have in Christ, which is a great thing awesome. that you have to sing about. Yeah. But where are the enemies that God's dealing with other than Satan and your sin? I'm struggling with this one big time because I mean, I, I, I almost don't even know how to square David's writing there with the idea that I'm supposed to love my enemy. Right. I mean, is he, is, is what he feeling there righteous? Right, right. It's inspired at the very it, least. It is inspired. I mean, yes, it is inspired scripture. We can learn something from it, but this is goes to that prescriptive descriptive. Mm-hmm. Is David describing his experience, or is he telling us that d- you should hate those who oppose the Lord? No, I don't. I don't know. Am I supposed to do that? But I think your deeper point is having musical outlet that would express itself, uh, express all of those emotions. Mm-hmm. And we don't we don't have we don't have those. Was that a knock on that door? I don't know. I don't think it was. Okay, uh, my apologies. We're doing this at North Greenville University. Right on. I, I just took lunch to do this, so it's good. Good times. <laughs> All right. Can I before you have other music thoughts? Can I um read to you what I think is the most? Uh, let's go with the most meaningless verse of lyrics ever written. <laughs> Please. Um. So this is what I mean would not be part of a Christian ethic in music. It's one of my most hated songs from the late 90s from a band called LFO who wrote a song called Summer Girls. I just Googled it. (laughs) Here's the verse. Hip-hop, marmalade, spick and span. Met you one summer and it all began. You're the best girl that I ever did see. The great Larry Bird, Jersey 33. 
When you take a sip, you buzz like a hornet. Billy Shakespeare wrote a whole bunch of sonnets. Call me Willie Whistle because I can't speak, baby. Something in your eyes went and drove me crazy. That's actually somewhat good. Um, stayed all summer, then went back home. Macaulay Culkin wasn't home alone. Felt even love, but now he ain't speaking. Michael J. Fox was Alex P. Keaton. When I met you, I said my name was Rich. You look like a girl from Abercrombie and Fitch. That's the stuff that we wouldn't do. None of it's even connected to one another. It's just random, random thoughts that kind of rhyme. My goodness. Uh, as opposed to, uh, let's just pick one from this of becoming the archetype. Have you heard of these guys? No. Christian death metal band. Okay. Uh, they have. They they actually just got back together and uh, and put out a new album that is fantastic. But I'm I'm going to reference um, their I Am album. It's an entire. So it's heavy. Very. Yeah. So that is from their <laughs> I Am album. Let me look up the lyrics quickly. Because yeah, God knows I'm not going to understand a word. Right. Uh, but, oh goodness, I'm I, trying to do this on I the very fly. Genuine, while you're looking for it. I mean this. I've never understood one word of a screamo song. That's okay. And that's not screamo, by the way. What else? Is, what else would that be? It's death metal. But will they scream in death metal? Yes, but that doesn't make it screamo. Screamo is heavier emo. Oh, you've learned something today. I did learn something today. I appreciate that. Uh, so their their I am album is an entire concept album on the doctrine of God, and so it starts with I this particular song, the War Ender. I spoke to the heart of darkness, let there be light. I spoke to the heart of darkness, let there be light. I reached into the dead man's chest and brought him back to life. Wow. Let there be light. I am the shock to the system. Reanimation is in my hand. I love that. <laughs> Absolutely love that. Well, and, and that's just the start. I just picked one at random. Yeah. Uh, they have a fantastic rendition along those lines of how great thou art and stuff like that. Hmm. But... Yeah, you get so, two opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> Talking I, about Larry Bird's jersey randomly. And yes. And then, what do they call it? Is it I Am album from what band? Uh, I Am from Becoming the Archetype. Becoming the Archetype. So when, when we have concluded the music and songs portion of this, I've come up with my segue. Like, I know how we're going to yes! get from one to the other. Let's do it. But do you have any more on what music will look like as Christians become to be predominant in the music world? I think <laughs> this was, I've, I've had these thoughts for a while. And they uh, were more solidified when I was at the NAMM show a couple weeks ago. So uh, me being a guitar pedal builder, I'm a member of the National Association of Music Merchants. The annual show is, uh, the big one is in Anaheim, California every year uh, at the Anaheim Convention Center. And it's very loud, as you can imagine. Um, Thankfully, the noise floor this year where I was was only 85 decibels. Normally it's 95 and I have to take earplugs. Yeah. Uh, but you see, whether it's at the NAMM show or even your local guitar shows, or they show up at music stores all the time, it's like these these guys in their 60s, maybe even pushing 70, that are still trying to dress like they did in the 80s. Yeah. And it's sad. Yes, it is. It's really Dude, you're not cool. <laughs> Nobody thinks that you know, you're this hard rocker. No, everybody thinks you're about to fall over and break a hip because you're wearing boots. And I think in a Christianized music scene, 
you know, being in the heavier music scene, I think what you end up with is fewer people trying to simply impress each other. Yeah, that's good. Just trying to look cool. Obviously, like, I wear a lot of black because I like to wear black. Um, in, in terms of the uh, who wins best dressed on this show, you would win all day. <laughs> uh, but, like, I just wear black. It's what I like to do. But I'm not trying to impress anybody with it. Yes. Um, and I'm not going to keep the same haircut that I had when I was here at North Greenville with the emo swoop. I recall. Kind of outgrew that. Don't have the lip ring anymore. It's like, guys, if you're in your 60s, move on with your life. You can still wear black. Just cool it with all the bedazzled jeans and leather vests. It's a, it's a good word. Two things just uh, came to me there. So one, that, that core thing you're talking about, it seems, on the music part, is one of the things we would definitely have in a Christian music scene is doing it for the glory of God and glory of God alone. Yes. And not for the approval of man. Yes. Two, we, we should probably do a whole other thing about aging. It's, um, it's, em, it's embarrassing for a lot of folks. Like, even I, so I'll, I'm 37. I'm probably going to still wear jeans that have some rips in them like I am right now. Yeah. But that's going to end soon. Mm-hmm. I can see it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I, I don't care if the, if the meme is white New Balance shoes. I'm probably going to head that way at some point. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to be a dignified mm-hmm. and, and be okay with aging. I'm not going to fight it tooth and nail by stuffing putting stuff in my face. Yeah, I, I had to stop wearing like Vans and Converse All Stars because they're bad for my knees. Are they really? <laughs> yeah, like I I have to have more support. Oh, and my shoes untied. Real, you have to put on real shoes. Yeah, I had, to, I had to get real shoes with real support. So I wear you know usually Under Armour trainers I, at this point, but whatever. I, I want to like I. I I'll give you a couple ones. I know this, is, we should probably save it, but here just some thoughts that yeah. I've had. Like Harrison Ford still doing movies. Yep. Dude, you're, you will be dead in five years or less. And mm. you, could, you could be spending time with grandkids and great-grandkids and you're shooting movies? Mm. You're doing an Apple TV show that 100,000 people will watch? And I watched it. It's called uh, Shrinking. It's great. It's a great show. Mm. But that's what you're doing with your latter years. Jamie Lee Curtis is 79, fighting tooth and nail to look 50. Oh, and just won yeah. her first Oscar. Yeah. I thought of this back in 2016 when Hillary Clinton was running for president. One of the, I think the only good thing I can say about her is she just aged. Nancy Pelosi put a bunch of junk in her face. She she fought every tooth and nail. She had every yeah, surgery to try to hold on to youth. And what Hillary Clinton did, she and just now, got old. And now Nancy Pelosi looks really surprised all the time. All the time. And it's it's just a, it's just one of those things that I I need everyone to be more comfortable with. Just age. Yeah, it's okay. Let's, let's put this. I don't know why we aging fight. with a big circle around it on my notes. There. And even like the adulting thing is my nerves. Yeah, we'll do that at some point. Yeah. Like yeah. just be an adult. It's awesome. All right. So here's my cool segue. Well, yeah, the big secular music scene, you could say that it's bankrupt. Speaking of bankruptcy, (laughs) I told you you I'd get there. Oh, that makes me so happy. One of the things that I've been curious about in the the post-mill world and as Christians begin to run things is is bankruptcy. I I talked about it last time as uh, this year of Jubilee concept, which I, I don't have a I will admit I'm not an expert on, but in short, I think it was every 70 years, in ancient Israel, was it 50. Four, is it 50 years? Yeah. Thank you. Every 50 years in ancient Israel, there was just largely a reset. Uh, yep. Lands that would go back to their original owners, and if the owners were d- dead, it would go to their um, to, to whoever next in line was, like a next mm-hmm. of kin, because yep. uh, it was a patriarchal system that means ruled by the father. I'm not using patriarchy as the modern day, just like men suck. I mean, saying fathers ruled, and the, the father of the family, that sometimes would now then be the eldest son. Mm-hmm. We would reset things. And so there was a there was a way to put yourself into real debt 
you put yourself even into slavery to take care of your family yeah. and things would reset. You would, and it seems like even the historical record showed people knew this. Like when we were coming up five years from the Jubilee, people started making different decisions about what they would lend because they knew what, what was going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. But when there's a long time period, uh, they know they could make money off their, uh, their lending. So they would lend more. So that, that was the system. Okay. And then I take today, as far as I can tell, there are two ways to become financially ruined today. One is being an idiot. One is being an idiot. Mm-hmm. You can be a lazy person. You can mm-hmm. take on a bunch of credit card debt for trips to Disney. You can break yourself by being a moron with your money. That's yep. one. Two, you can be born into poverty, never really have a great chance to get out of it, and you end up with a medical debt. Medical debt is actually the driver of bankruptcy in the, in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Medical, I mean... I've seen it with people that I love deeply. I mean, if, if you've not seen a medical bill recently, a hospitalized person. They're hefty. They, not, not only the, the amount, but the confusion. I, I saw one here recently where there was like 11 different doctors mentioned. They don't remember seeing half of these doctors. God knows what they did. And they maybe walked into the room for 30 seconds and asked a question and charged them $1,100 for having done that. Mm-hmm. Like it's, a, it's a convoluted garbage system. It puts a lot of people into bankruptcy. So there's one, you're an idiot, you're a moron, You put and you have found yourself in a bad situation. Two, not found yourself, sorry, you caused your bad situation. Right. Other, you find yourself in a bad situation. And right now, we treat those people largely the same. There's chapter 11 and 7, I think, bankruptcy. And then you're absolved of, the, of debts, and then we, we let you start over with a bad credit score. I think seven years, seven years after that, it, it expires. And I'm just wondering in, if you have thoughts first, I think I have a few. In a post-mill world, Somebody gets broke because of a medical debt. What do we do for them? Mm. What, what is it? F- f- we in a post mill world, families are supporting each other, and so families come along and, and support that person. What do we What do we do with what the reformers call the deserving poor, who really are totally without safety net? Mm-hmm. Maybe there's there is no family that happens to people. Um, do, do you immediately have any thoughts on that, or would you like to hear mine? Yes. Uh, so I did hear a thing recently, I think even between our most recent recordings, about the Jubilee laws of the, the hard reset. One of the interesting things is if you play the tape out, if Israel had actually been faithful, they did this and say it went on several generations, eventually you're inheriting like a quarter of an acre in that reset. Okay. So what good does that do you? Oh, yeah. Uh, where the understanding was Israel was to expand the worship of Yahweh to its neighbors. That was the charge. Right. So by doing that, you ex- you actually end up expanding the amount of land that you would inherit, but they didn't. Got it. Um, so in terms of general equity, theonomy, yes. things like that, um, I don't know what to do exactly with with the Jubilee itself, but I do see... Uh, debt resets. You okay. can only carry a debt for seven years, if I recall correctly, and you can only carry, uh, you can only sell yourself into sl- that. That was a big uh, difference between Old Testament slavery and chattel slavery. Right. Is you you would sell yourself to pay off debts, and that would only be for seven years, and then you're let go. Yes, uh, as you were beforehand, and so I think keeping those things in mind. Um, would be helpful. And then particularly with medical debt, 
I think a Christian society would be a lot more honest. Oh yeah, upfront about what these things cost. Upfront, this is going to cost whatever, um, because our current system is hot garbage. Absolutely. Um, as as much as we don't like things like the socialized systems in Canada and the UK, yes, ours has its own faults mm-hmm. in that. Um, you just don't know what you're in for. Totally opaque. Yeah. Like you can very literally go into a hospital with no reference for what mm-hmm. you you might pay, and there isn't someone who comes along as you go and says, "Hey, here's some." options here's some things we can do we might not do mm-hmm. do you have a preference on what we do yep they just treat however they want and yep. at the end say here's what you owe us yeah that's not a just system yeah whereas whereas uh like I'm, I'm a big advocate for dry needling if you're familiar with this not even a little bit and so it, it's like acupuncture that's actually scientifically proven cool so uh, a long thin needle is inserted into the muscle and then you run an electrical current through it Oh, I've seen LeBron do this. Yeah, and it, and it helps stuff. override, you know, your muscles freaking out, stuff yeah. like that. Um, so I've, I'm a big advocate. I do it all the time with how my body is made. I need it. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I go in, she asks, you know, what do we need to work on? And what's causing discomfort? What feels tight? Whatever. And then she'll kind of poke and prod around and say, okay, here's what I think we need to do. And so there's a give and take. There's... There's, I feel this, but she may discover it's actually something else yeah. causing that. And there is this give and take and transparency. There's transparency in the pricing. All the pricing yeah. is on her website. Yes. And so we make that decision together of, hey, this thing's bothering me. Let's take care of it. Yeah, that's what I love about my doctor. Shout out to Dr. Shane Purcell down in Anderson. And my wife signed up for a similar service of a guy named Dr. Blank right near downtown Greenville, uh, Ember Medicine. And you pay a subscription service. Oh, they are nice. your, your primary yeah. care doctor. Both of them are insanely responsive. More responsive than you would expect a doctor to be to a text right. message, email. And then anything you want, like blood tests, anything like that, is... Well, actually, my doctor had it one time, like, up on a board, like you were at McDonald's getting stuff off the store. All right, Like, yeah. it's literally just sitting right there so you know how much everything costs. But Sign yes, me up. It's, yeah. on the, it's on the board. So I, you know, I wish I would have thought one step, like you did, one step earlier. Uh, what I see is the wreckage of medical debt, the number one driver of bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, in a, in a post-mill world, how would we help those people? And didn't think, well, we would prevent it. Right. We, we, in a post-mill right. world, we would have prevented that from happening because there would have been an honest, transparent system for services rendered. But there may be a situation, like something like a heart transplant. Those, those are tremendously expensive, yeah. and they're never as, not going to be as expensive. As they should be. Yeah. 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 You're talking about <laughs> someone has to die mm-hmm. first. And then you have to extract that organ and preserve it. And then you have to crack open someone's chest while keeping them alive. Yes. And replace, like, it's an incredible surgery Yes, to, in the first place. It's never not going to be expensive unless somebody figures out something amazing. Yep. But <clears throat> I can see a situation where something like that, stage four cancer treatments, uh, maybe a uh, quadriplegic treatments, things yeah. like that. Those are going to be expensive, and in those situations, then the family and the church would be there to help that, in, in, in a Christianized world. So it's the same way we talk about many of these post-mill things. We're just so far from them. Mm-hmm. Anyone hearing it thinks it sounds insane. Mm-hmm. But as that ethic of care spread, it would actually become like a line-item budget for me. Like yeah. I'm saving this much because it's not just for me. I'm going to help. A neighbor. I'm going to help my family. Yeah. You know, I, I admire modern day Jews in America for this. That's how it works. 
and your right. and your local actually I don't think the locals they call them temples I think they call them something else synagogues thank you the the synagogue group there's a there's a fund for the neighborhood and mm. if you guys might have health insurance you might work outside the system but this synagogue is going to take care of yep. all of its people and its its medical needs and they're very open about it yep and and my church recently uh, this was the end of last year. So I'm a deacon at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina, and uh, obviously protecting identities and, and whatnot, but there was a medical need in our congregation uh, for a child. And with the family's situation, there was no irresponsibility on their part. It was a rare condition, but it was, this should be the last treatment, and then this child should be good to go. Wow. Uh, but the family was really, really tight, and so when we got together for our budget, we looked at, we looked at our books you know, evaluate everything and said, yeah, let's hook them up. Let's, let's fix this for them. Like that's what we should be. Yeah. Let me ask you this one. There's a a church out in St. Louis that I will, like, I I think I like them. Uh, Their pastors just wrote a book called Truth Over Tribe. I'm about 90% uh, on board with them. Mm. They have a podcast called Truth Over Tribe. There's, okay. And their, their whole thing is just trying to get Christians to stop idolizing politics. And they do that in great ways. They sometimes miss the mark. Mark. Anyway, uh, Every few years now, they go to the whoever owns all the medical debt in that St. Louis County, and they negotiate and pay it all off hmm. because the the hospital gives they sell the debt to debt collectors. Yes, because the hospital knows I'm just never getting this. I'm never going to get get anything, so I'll just take whatever chunk of money I can get from a debt collector. You might as well get half or eighty percent over nothing. And so there was, I mean, one of these times, I think the number was like, there was 30, was like, maybe that's not wrong. Maybe it's 13 million. That sounds right. $30 million of, of credit, uh, of medical debt that the church negotiated to pay for like 10 cents on the dollar because then mm. in the debt agency was like, yeah, we'll, we'll take that. We'll take this big chunk. And then the people who had their medical debt paid off were getting letters from the church. Just like, just because we wanted to show you the love of Christ, mm-hmm. we took care of this. Your, what are your thoughts on churches doing stuff like that for the, the entire community, not the believer, or, or but just indiscriminately, we are paying off the debts of everybody in our community. Yeah, it's you can. How many different directions can you go with that? Yeah, with with thinking about it, because one, it it feels good. It was awesome. Um, and because it feels so good, and I was just like, all right, I want to do this. I want to get all the churches of Greenville together, and like, if we because I know Beachwood couldn't do it, but right. like, if we got them all together, maybe we could pay off like a. $10 million of debt with only a million dollars because right. they're willing to take 10 cents on the dollar. How awesome would that be? And then there's always something in me that goes, hey, you might you might be missing something. Think through that a little tighter. Yeah, and that's kind of where I end up is, is this, are they doing this for evangelistic purposes? Uh, because I don't see any room in the in Christian thinking for just doing nice things for people and then uh, if necessary, use words like that. Right. Not quote from St. Augustine. Uh, uh, or no, Francis of Assisi. Assisi. Yeah. It's um, or it's not Assisi is my point, but yeah. Right. So, I don't know. It does feel good on the surface though. So you don't have any immediate... I don't have any immediate re- revulsion. Rejection. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, I think that's a cool one. But to my core thing, I, I just, um, I think these two things are true. A lot of the societal ills that we see, I think many folks in secularism attribute to the wrong stuff. They attribute it to mm-hmm. uh, they attribute it to various isms, racism, sexism. Yep. Where the real marker of disadvantage in the West is poverty. 
Poverty drives all the bad stuff. Mm. And often if you correct for sex, gender, age, if you correct for poverty, you actually have a fairly equitable country and bad outcomes. Yeah. yeah. So I, I've, I got in my head, it's, it's kind of my thing lately. I just want to like, how do we stop people from being poor? Because poverty is driving all the bad stuff. Mm. And I look, all right, well, the big driver mm. of, of bankruptcies is medical debt. What can I possibly do about that? I go to the law and find, all right, well, there's this Jubilee thing. Is there anything there? But I think what you're saying there is we had seven years of debt back then, and now we're willing to put you in debt to the day you die. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong there. Yeah, and there's <laughs> there's also the verse of, if you don't do any, if you do these things, you won't have any poor people, uh, meaning destitute people. Yeah. As in people who are living under bridges in San Francisco right. uh, with needles and poop on the street right. kind of thing. Um, I don't think he's saying no generally poor people. I do think we need to redefine, rejigger our definitions of poor. That's right. We have because, a very American version. Because our poor people have... Uh, Computers in their pockets, millions of times more powerful than what put man on the moon. Yep. Yeah, the uh, Heritage, Heritage Foundation does this every year. The average person under the poverty line still has a second car, has a microwave, mm. washer, dryer, things of that sort. While not denying that there are struggles that Absolutely. come with, because we are in an, an insanely wealthy nation. Yeah. But I think the statistic is if you are... If you make something like $25,000 a year, that puts you in the top 80 or 90% Absolutely. of the world. Yes, that's right. Um, the, yes, you're, you're, middle, you're a very middle-class person in America. When you think about the 2 billion people that live in China and India, mm-hmm. you are opulently more wealthy than the vast majority of the people in those countries. Yes. There's another couple billion people throughout Africa. I mean, we, America is 5% of the nation's population. And I think it's about just about one fifth of all the wealth. Yep. So we, we think about, we think about poverty, uh, oddly. So anyway, that's actually is illuminating to me. The, the bankruptcy reforms we'd want to go over is preventing it in the first place by having a more just and a just economy. But then when it does happen, putting limits on what that debt can be and then having families and churches on the back end help with it. Right, and I think I think things like credit card companies, and I'm not saying to institute a law saying thou shalt charge this amount for your credit card, uh, but you know, credit cards charging like 26% interest and stuff like that, um, you're not helping people with that. Where where a credit card is supposed to be something that can can be a tool, yeah, I, uh, like like I my wife yeah. and I have uh, an Amazon credit card that we pay off every month, and it gets us points stored Amazon. Yes, and we can so, get free stuff effectively. We uh, use the yeah use the same thing. I actually had our New York City trip. We just went on uh, last month. I didn't pay a dime for our flight. Yeah, I used my Capital One points yep. for every dime of the flight covered yeah. and a little bit of a hotel. Yeah, us, using points for that. Yeah, I, th- I think the word is usury. There were usury laws. Islam is big on this. Islam has hardcore. Usury laws. The yeah. Jews have some, where it's just a, it's just about uh, unreasonable interest. Yeah, right? and I think I think we've talked about this maybe in the first episode a little bit. Yeah, because you worked at the, at the, the title loan. Total loan. Yeah, we did yeah. talk about this some. Yeah. Um, okay, so that was that's all I had for you on this culture with uh, cultural culture with Cody and Corey. Uh, was I just want to talk about those? I don't know what we'll do next time. We, aging. We'll do aging. Do aging, and we'll do something else. 
we'll figure it out. I should also mention this. My my big brother's going to use this um, title on something, um, but we're basically doing something like the, like what the Bible Project does, what the Bible, what the Gospel Project does in Southern Baptist. Doug, my older brother, said he wants to do something called the Post Mill Project. Yep. That's sort of what we're doing. Yep. I look forward to that. Yeah. When we, he and I will do some Post Mill. Well, it's just ima- imagining the world that it might that might come. As I was just in an interview. Can I, I'll finish here, and then it's all yours. Oh, okay. Just in an interview with a, a candidate for a job, doesn't matter what, and that candidate asked the room, I, th- I think an insightful question to an interview committee looking for a job. Like, wh- why are you, why do you work here? What, wh- why do you stay? Mm. Why do you want to be here? I like that. Oh man, that's actually a very insightful question to ask an interview committee. And I hope I didn't wax too eloquent, but I said, well, I do imagine a world where Bear Stearns and well, Bear Stearns and all the banks are run by Christians. And I imagine a world where Lockheed Martin and all the military industrial complex is run by Christians. Mm-hmm. And I imagine a world where the university presidents in the Ivy League are Christians. And I imagine a world where the folks who run Netflix and the Hollywood studios are Christians. And I really like being in a place that might educate one of those people. Yeah. That has a, they teach a biblical worldview and they go out and they run the banks and the studios and the media and they go out and run everything. I, I want to be a part of that. And I, I don't know why I believe it so fervently, but I just believe we're going to get. I just believe we're going to get there. Yeah. When we get together, yeah. we're imagining. Well, when we get there, when my great grandkids or great 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 grandkids get there, what will it look like? Because mm-hmm. it's fun to imagine what or, it will look or like. Or great 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 great. <laughs> I know. Just keep like if, and this is fresh on my mind since uh, Bradley and I recorded the Westminster Effects Toxology podcast today. Is you is two podcasts in one day? Yes, Cody. <laughs> Bro, that's ambitious. Well, that that's what we've done every other time too. Really? Is, is I've I've gone back to back with those. I don't know if I have lot. the mental acuity. It's or a lot of talking. There's real compared, perseverance in that man. It's a lot of talking compared to what I normally do because I work from home for myself, so I can throw on the podcast and not talk for two or three hours straight. Yeah. And that's awesome. Well done, sir. Well also, done. this is awesome. But um, God did say that He is faithful to a thousand generations. Yeah. So why do we expect him to not be? Why do we expect to lose eighty percent of our our kids when they go yeah. to when they go when they go to college? Good for you, man. Uh, yeah, good point. Why why would we not expect that to be reversed? Yes. Why would we expect God? <laughs> he says he'll visit the consequences of sin to the third and fourth generation, but faithfulness to a thousand. And we tend to flip those. Yep. We tend to think, oh yeah, maybe. Kids, grandkids, maybe we'll get that far. Uh, and then, you know, if somebody screws it up, it's just screwed up forever. Forever. <laughs> yeah, you're, now your bloodline is just cursed. Yeah, and and, and we think, uh, I've heard Doug Wilson say this, of most American eschatology, uh, let me back that up, the atheist eschatology, because everyone has one. Yes. The atheist eschatology is that the atheists will win. The Muslim eschatology is that the Muslims will win. And the predominant Christian eschatology in America is that the atheists and Muslims will win. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so right. <laughs> but so sad. But, but it's you know, if you if you look at the Bible, Jesus is currently, first Corinthians fifteen, he is putting his enemies under his feet right now. At the at this moment. Yes. And he's done that through history and he's going to continue to do that. And so what we see is the results really of unfaithfulness and God visiting those consequences to the third and fourth generation. Wow. So what we need to do is get on board with repentance and yeah. faith in Jesus. Good. 
get to work because yes, the culture is in free fall, but it's not going to be in free fall forever. Yeah. And eventually you got to build again. Yeah, it's good. So, so and, and when we get there, we got to know how to think. Yes. And so we're trying to leave this posterity of thinking. Yes. For folks who might need to think of these things when that world finally comes. Yes. Hey man, good job on your second podcast of the day. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Well done. Good job on your first one. Hey, thanks.